Kristen, it's a brand new Friday, and it's a week of reinventions, restarts, revisiting. It's like, you know, it is the first day of spring. It's that time where you're just... You're right. You're just popping out there, and you're just doing it all over again, maybe a little differently this time. Last year's daffodils, or maybe this year's different kinds of daffodils. (laughs) (laughs) Last year's Liam Neeson might be this year's Sean Penn. Oh, that's right. Maybe last year's post-apocalyptic movie with teenagers might be a different post-apocalyptic movie with teenagers. Last year's Twilight (laughs) star is this year's action star. (laughs) We're going to talk about all these reinventions. We've got the Divergent series, Insurgent, the uh, sequel to uh, Divergent. Uh, We have The Gunman, Sean Penn, in an action film. And we have Tracers with Taylor Lautner, also in an action film. Last but not least... We have Tommy Wiseau, the writer, director, auteur, star of The Room, widely acknowledged to be the world's worst film, has returned with a sitcom on Hulu called The Neighbors. We'll talk about all that in a minute, but first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway, and this is Movie Date. Kristen, you're a Taylor Lautner fan. I'm a Taylor Lautner fan. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he just seems like a nice boy. He does, he does he seem seems like, like a... such a nice boy, doesn't he? <laughs> I was totally Team Jacob. I know and... you were. I know. You were just like, oh, I've had it with this sullen vampire. Yeah, I don't care I was... anymore about him. You, no. You and your sparkle skin. And yeah, your... I was much more into the werewolves. And uh, Taylor Lautner is back in a parkour-themed action film called Tracers. Tell us about this. So in this movie, Taylor Lautner's character is a humble bike messenger, and one day when he's out on duty, he runs into, literally physically runs into this acrobatic girl who's jumping over cars and off of buildings and so on, and he gets sucked into her world, the underground secret world of parkour. And before you know it, he isn't just sucked into the world. He sucked into her gang, which is a parkour gang that does crime. That's right. They do heists. Heists using parkour. Here's a clip. This is awesome. What are we supposed to do? Try and keep up. Now, I bet this premise really has you excited, Rafer. Well, based on what you've told me, I'm hearing, I'm hearing a couple different things. I'm hearing um, Quicksilver with Kevin Bacon <laughs> as a bike messenger. I'm hearing uh, any of the Step Up films with Channing Tatum mm-hmm. uh, and Ryan Guzman, by the way. Yes. Uh, and then I'm hearing kind of your average sort of thriller, what have you. So which is it? Where are we? What genre are we in here? Well, I think that it's trying to be an action heist movie with a little romance. That's what I think it's trying to be. But... So no dance moves, no dance scene. There's not a dance tournament, and there's not a parkour <laughs> tournament that they have there to is, enter? There is, like, there, there are oh, definitely... there is! No, 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 there's not a dance tournament or anything like that, but there are definitely, like, long parkour sort of montage scenes where it's like, let's see if you really have what it takes, buddy. Oh, yeah, great, yeah. that's awesome. And, and then we get to see if he has what it takes. Can he jump off the ship? Can he jump through these hoops? Can he, in this parking garage, jump from one floor to another floor of the parking garage? So the, there are those scenes. And as you know, I love parkour. Ever since we saw Brick Mansions last year, I got the, sucked the into great, it. The great Brick Mansions. Great God, that was fun. <laughs> Which I didn't like as much as you, but I really fell in love with parkour after seeing that movie. One thing that's different from... The Brick Mansions, though, is that 
this has no sense of humor. Do you remember, oh. do you remember how Brick Mansions had RZA playing Boy. like that gangster with all the jewelry who'd make you chilly when you were at his house? And you had all the women in leather hot pants who so happened to like, like a... know how to use nuclear weapons. Yeah. Oh, that guy. I love Brick Mansions. <laughs> God, I love that movie. Okay. So Tracer's not a no good, not a sense of humor. And how's Taylor Lautner? How is he reinventing himself properly as an action star? This is his second action film. Yeah. Abduction was his other big one yes. with Lily Collins, which. As you know, I loved. I, I thought it was like hilarious. Me I too. laughed and laughed and laughed through that movie. I loved abduction. I had a perfectly good time. At abduction. I did. I just loved it. I laughed my head off. This one, I didn't ever break a smile. And uh, frankly, I think all the characters fall kind of flat. Everyone seems really bored in the movie. The the romantic lead, the op, who plays opposite Taylor Lautner. I'm sorry, I'm going to probably mispronounce this. Marie. Avgaropoulos? Avgaropoulos? Um, good, good try. Nice try. Good effort. But she she seems really bored in this. It's like you're great <laughs> at parkour, but then when you have to talk, you're just – you have dead eyes. And It's tough, man. It's tough. Gina Carana, you know, uh, when uh, when Steven Soderbergh uh, got well, her. Oh, I liked that movie, You though. know, but I mean, it's, it's – you know, she's she's got she's got half of what it takes, I think. And the acting part is the other half, and it's tough. It's You're talking tough. about the movie Haywire, which yeah, exactly. I liked. I yes. liked Haywire. He, he took a real, like, stunt woman, wrestler. Mixed, mixed martial, mixed martial arts, arts fighter, yeah. Yeah, and made her an action star for that movie. Yep. But in this movie, it just, yeah, you're right. You need to be able to do more than the action. You need to act. And in this movie, she just looks like she's dead in her eyes. Oh, that's time. too bad. And Taylor Lautner, okay, he, not so great. He what? does the best he can, but there's uh, no chemistry with I No. And, and I just wish it would have been fun. They seemed bored. I was bored. Boring yeah. date, you say? For yeah. Tra- for Tracers? Unfortunately, I was pretty bored during Tracers. Yeah. Let's move on to another action movie, this time starring Sean Penn, who may be the next Taken star, because this is from the same director as Taken. That's right. Uh, only only this time, he is somebody who does not have a daughter who's Taken, right? No, he has he has no daughter. This is more of a, almost a film noirish plot. It's about a, a man, a, a mercenary, actually, who's bloody past. Is he a gunman? He's a gunman. That's, how did <laughs> you like guess? Just the title the, says. Because of the title. The title is The Gunman. Yes, he plays a mercenary whose who's past comes back to haunt him. He, uh, we begin in the Congo. He's uh, a paid assassin. He assassinates someone and then has to leave his country. But this also means uh, that he has to leave behind his girlfriend, and uh, uh, a relief worker played by Jasmine Trinka. Uh, and then years later, when it seems like everything has blown over and life goes on, Sean Penn himself, uh, as Jim Terrier, gets uh, put on a hit list and uh, guys are coming after him and he's not sure what's going on. So he goes to visit his old friend Felix, played by Javier Bardem, and soon finds himself on the run. Here's a clip. You ever have one of those days when every law is Murphy's law? Hmm? Everything's going wrong and everybody wants to kill you for something. Got some heavy shit going on up there today. Is that right? Oh, yeah. One of the companies in that building got a surprise visit from Interpol. You know Interpol? Congo. Yeah, the con- yeah, Congo. This all sounds very serious. I can't, I can't, frankly, remember if we're supposed to call it the Congo or if that's an old name or if that's a different country because there's also the Republic of Congo. I'm a little confused about that. The film doesn't help on, <laughs> on, the, on that count, I'm just going to say. Uh, 
Well, but I do think what you have here is essentially Sean Penn trying to get with the sort of 50 plus action hero thing that we're seeing. You know, Owen Wilson is starring in one of these two coming up. Um, so is Owen Wilson getting that old? Uh, yeah, I don't think he's quite that old, but he's getting there. Uh, so, oh, so, I guess he is close to 50, isn't mm-hmm. he? He can't play young, limber Taylor Lautner action star anymore, right? He's, yeah, yeah. So, and again, as you said, this is, you know, uh, Pierre Morel who directed the original Taken. Um, so here's the thing. I think a couple of problems with this film. One is... Sean Penn is one of the screenwriters, and this leads me to believe, though I have no overt proof, this leads me to believe that it was probably Sean Penn's idea to take this essentially kind of a lightweight, rough and tough, you know, rock'em sock'em action pick and turn it into this giant global drama about third world poverty, uh, American intervention in the developing world, uh, you know, genocide, massacres, things like that, uh, you know, because Sean Penn does a lot of relief work and, and awareness raising abroad, particularly in Haiti. Uh, that's a big cause that he has. I think his intentions are probably good on that. I don't, I don't think he's, he's just being, uh, you know, that's just for publicity's sake. But I think he inserts all that in here. And now what you've got is this kind of hand-wringing, heavy, kind of semi-political drama, you know, in which like a Congolese minister is being shot and the population is dying. I'm already snoring. Do you know what I'm saying? And it's like Blood Diamond or it's like uh. Uh, it's like the Constant Gardener or something. And that's not really what you want, especially when you've been given Sean Penn with a rifle and you've been given Sean Penn with his shirt off and he's all pumped up. His, you know, his shoulders look great. His chest is puffed out. You think you're going to be there for an action film and instead you're getting this kind of, you know, dour political film. That bummed me out. Also, I'm going to say it's kind of tough to get behind the character of a guy who was a mercenary who would actually shoot a reformist politician in the head just for pay. That's even even though he regrets it later. It's just a little difficult for me to kind of root for this guy. So the film winds up being a bit of a bummer. The action films are the action scenes are okay. Um but ultimately, it's just a lot of hand wring. It's a lot of Sean Penn squinting and smoking and feeling guilty and brooding. And in the end, I thought the gunman was probably not going to launch Sean Penn into the action film genre. I thought it was a, a, a pretty mm. dour date. So, but it sounds like you're not going to have any future dates with him after this as an action star, right? <laughs> I, I, no future I, action movies I, with I, Sean Penn. I kind of feel like that's the case. I don't think we're going to see another one of these anytime soon. Oh, well, good effort, Sean Penn. Yes. Good, good effort. No good night kiss. We will not be seeing you again. <laughs> talk about this week's giant movie, the one that there's all the posters out for. I know the one you're talking about, the Divergent series, Insurgent. Yes, this is the second movie in the series starring Shailene Woodley. And in a post-apocalyptic sort of future, we have only a small surviving remainder of human life that's here. In, in Chicago. what used to be Chicago. <laughs> in what used to be Chicago. The Windy City. Yes. And everyone's broken up into different factions depending on what your abilities are. So you have your people who are like farmers. You have your people the who, Amity. who are good at thinking. Erudite. You have your people who are good at being honest. They are candor. Candor. And so they're good at judging and so on. You know, I forgot what the other ones are. Dauntless. Oh, yeah. The dauntless. Factors. And then abnegation, the, fact, the selfless uh, faction that helps everyone out. Yes. Yes. All of these. And can I just say that the one that bugs me the most is dauntless because that's an adjective and everybody, mm. everybody else is a noun. 
That's interesting. Did you <laughs> Abneg- notice that? Abnegation. Er- oh, no, erudite's an adjective. Um, I guess you can be an erudite. Can't well, you? No, I don't oh, think so. Maybe erudite's not. an adjective. Oh, that's true. That's true. Ah, you know, it's a small but, point. Okay. All right. But it, it, it bugs me whenever they say dauntless. I'm like, oh, why can't you be candor? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Or you wanted to be invincible. You wanted yes. to be a noun. Yes. Okay. That's what I want. That's what I want. That's, that's your hang-up, Kristen. <laughs> well, in this movie, we have not Katniss. I was about to call her Katniss. I, it's so, her name's it's, Triss, it's not so Katniss. Her it's, name's Triss. It's so tough. Triss is Shailene Woodley's character. And as you might recall from the last movie, she is now leading a revolution with some of these other folks who are divergent. They don't fall into one of these five personality categories. They don't fall into any of these factions. They're, they're out there, and they want to overthrow the system. The system is run by this leader who's very crooked, played by Kate Winslet. So in this movie, they're trying to overthrow her and build a new civilization without all of this oppression, without all these categories. Here's a clip. I can't let anyone else die because of me. No one else is going to die because of me. You know, I'm just one person. I'm not worth it. You are worth it. You're more worth it than me. So that's uh, Shailene Woodley and also Theo James playing four. F-O-U-R. That's and his... he's, not, he's not a Franco. He just looks like a Franco. That's right. He does. <laughs> he does. He looks very much like one of the Francos, but he's not. Um, now... This I'm just going to say, based on your your slip up there earlier, which I make all the time, it's very hard not to get this really confused and conflated with the Hunger Games. Yes, they're not s- Katniss, Triss. They're so similar. They're so similar. No, but the Hunger Games is better. Let's just get that out of the way. I think the Hunger Games is better. Why? Because they actually have something they're fighting. They have a goal that makes sense in some way that... You know, it's not that they don't have a goal in the Divergent movies, but I felt that the first one was all thinking and anticipating without actually anything happening. The first Divergent film. The first Divergent film. The second Divergent film now, I feel that the first half, again, nothing was happening. And then the second half, things were happening. By by that point, I was so bored. Mm. And I, I feel that in The Hunger Games, they're actually putting you in an arena. You're fighting to the death. This is what's happening. And it has... So much urgency in this moment. You must survive right now. Sure. And I think that what the Divergent series is doing wrong is it's spreading things out so far. I don't need four movies of this. Yeah. As you well, know, I loved The Giver, starring Jeff Bridges. That yeah, was one last film. Year. One film. One perfect, well-constructed film. Just see that instead. Well, see and, that. and guess what? The Giver tanked. I know it, it takes. I know, I know, and I'm really surprised by that. I yeah. thought it was really great. I thought that movie was just perfect and well contained. Also has an evil female leader played by Meryl oh. Streep. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, and I just thought it was perfect. It was a perfect little movie. This one, I just feel like I'm watching them add extra pages you in, feel the, the, in the, the writing room. I'm just like seeing them pad out the whole thing, and it just feels like padding. It feels bloated out to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say I didn't really, I didn't quite feel that way about this film. I think um, my big objection, I guess, is that there's not a lot of complicated thoughts going on in this movie. You know, The Hunger Games, even though I, I knock The Hunger Games for not delivering on its promise to be like a socio-political economic allegory, and I feel like it's kind of falling down in the job a little bit, but at least that potential is there, and at least at least they are thinking about that kind of stuff. Divergent, it, there's not, you know, basically, it's just one big kind of crappy high school they all live in, right? <laughs> 
everyone's kind of mean to each other and your teachers are crappy and like the and in this film uh, Tris has to go through this gauntlet of virtual reality tests where you know she has to pass she has to sort of prove that she can succeed as each faction as candor as abnegation as amity as dauntless and if she can pass this this bunch of Virtual reality test, then she'll unlock a box that will have a, a, a secret message from the society's founders. Um, and so that just seems like one big giant SAT test, right? And if you fail, you get killed. So it's just, it all, it all just seems like a big high school, and there's nothing that else is larger. That's a good analysis of this, Ray Fry. <laughs> I didn't even I mean? think of it that way. Until <laughs> it, you mentioned this, I'm like, oh, see the dolphins, dud. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> right, exactly. And there's just not, there's not that much to think about in this film. And so you're left with kind of the mechanics of it all. Like, how are, how are they acting? How, how, how are the actors? They're, they're pretty good. I think Shailene Woodley's good. I think Theo James is good. Kate, I don't feel like Kate they have Winslet's any chemistry great. between them, yeah, though. I kind of do, actually. I, but, but I do think that, yeah, Kate Winslet's terrific. She's she's great. All the supporting players. Uh, Miles Teller is great in this movie. Um, I think um, High Courtney, who plays the uh, the main dauntless bad guy, Eric, is really good. Um, I think everyone's pretty good. The special effects, yeah, they're pretty good. But, you will, but go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I was going to say is, but ultimately, you know, uh, who cares, right? It's kind of it's okay, it's fine. It kind of it stands on its own, all right, I suppose. But I don't feel this great sense of urgency or this great sense of like, wow, this is really relevant and now and speaking to me. You it know has what I mean? meaning. It has real meaning that yeah. speaks to these times. No, no it, it doesn't. doesn't. Also, I was a little bit totally unrelated. I was a little bit tiny, bit distracted by Shailene Woodley. All of her male leads, she's been in romantic films with all of them. So That's I just. <laughs> So I'm just kept on getting just Miles distra- Teller and Spectacular Now. Yeah. And, and Ansel Elgort in uh, Fault, the Fault, in our, <laughs> Fault in Our Stars. And that's I thought right. she had better chemistry with both of them in those movies. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why huh. I felt that she didn't have enough chemistry in this movie. I have one last little point to make, and that it's kind of like a metaphysical, philosophical question. When you're in a virtual reality scenario and you succeed with uh, upper body strength, what does that mean? <laughs> What 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 just happened? What she has, has happened? a lot what have of you upper done? body strength in this movie. She does, which she's is always great. doing like she's always like doing the equivalent of a pull up to get right. over a ledge. She's right. always like, oh look, there's a cement building floating away, and she's right. doing a pull up to get onto the cement right. building as it floats away. Right, exactly. Yeah, things like that. I just I don't I don't get that concept. Anyway, okay, <laughs> that's my that's my last point. I'm gonna say, Divergent series Insurgent is like a kind of okay missable date. If you, oh, you know, yeah. You know what? If you're into it, I think you'll like it just fine. It'll be okay. But I don't think there's there's nothing there that makes me say, you really got to go out and see this. You'll have a great time. No. I almost feel like if you don't show up on this date, your life's not going to be any better or worse for it. I, I completely agree. Yeah. All right. Well, stay with us because in a moment, we're going to be talking about our sweatpants picks for the week, including this new internet series from the same guy who gave us that terrible, terrible film, The Room, all that, plus some listener mail. Stay with us. This episode of Movie Date is brought to you by Harry's.com. Now, Kristen, Harry's.com is a shaving company with which you have some familiarity. That's right, Rafer, because when I'm not with you... I'm usually with my other favorite movie date, my boyfriend. And my boyfriend is such a fan of Harry's.com that I kid you not, 
on our third date, he actually was extolling the virtues of Harry's, of their fantastic German-made razors, of the fact that they're sent straight to his home, and all at a low, low cost. And then we made out. (laughs) (laughs) I'll bet you did, Kristen. Was his face nice and smooth? Oh, so smooth. So smooth. All right. Harry's has an offer right now for a starter set. You can get, uh, for $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blades, and... With the promo code MOVIE, M-O-V-I-E, you get $5 off that. That promo code, again, is MOVIE, M-O-V-I-E. All of that at harrys.com. Thanks so much, Harry's. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. Rafer, it's that time. What time is that, Kristen? Stretchy pants! You're wearing sweatpants. It's Monday. Oh my, the Queen of England? I don't know, does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. Oh boy, you are not going to want to put on anything nice. (laughs) (laughs) Just those loose pants that are made out of elastic and gasoline. Whatever whatever they're made out of. Yes, that's it. You know that, that loose waistband? Put your hand right there in that waistband now, because we're going to talk about this new internet series from the guy who made The Room. So, first of all, for people who don't know what The Room is, Rafer, tell us about The Room. The Room is a notorious independent film from 2003 uh, by a guy named Tommy Wiseau. He he wrote it, he directed it, he starred in it, he did pretty much everything in it. Um, It's... uh, the plot of the room is basically a guy living with his uh, fiance. They're about to get married, but she's having an affair with the guy's best friend. That's really the basic gist of the room. Uh, tell me, we saw this strange character from the from California, San Francisco, L.A. Where did his money come from? How did he afford to get this entire film off the ground and pay for all this expensive equipment and sets and uh, special effects, such as they are? And <laughs> uh, and. And and what is his accent? Where is he from? What country is he from? What is that? What is that accent he's speaking with? Very tough to tell. No one knows really to this day. Really, almost anything of the backstory of Tommy Wiseau is a complete mystery. Fascinating character makes the room. It goes down in history as one, probably the worst film anyone has ever seen. Just top to bottom, absolutely inept, just abysmal. From the acting to the writing, just everything. The special effects are put in there for actually no reason. Uh, they shot one. They shot one uh, a series of scenes on a on a rooftop, and then any and then despite that, green screened the background in anyway. They green screened the, the skyline in anyway. So now you've got this strange floating skyline in the background. Whole film makes no sense, um, and it became. It was so bad. One of those films that was so bad that it actually became a, a cult classic and began selling out screenings all over Los Angeles and California. Wow! And still plays the college circuit. People know the lines by heart. It's like Rocky Horror. They'll they'll bring props to throw at the screen. They'll dress up as the characters. It's pretty incredible. Um, you know, it really seemed like like Tommy Wiseau had kind of disappeared after that. Lo and behold, all of a sudden, he pops up on Hulu with a new sitcom called The Neighbors. Here's a clip. And this week we have the arrival of Princess Penelope. Yes! Princess Penelope is coming. You did such a great job. That's Thank perfect. You. I have to do your work right now, sweetie. Yeah, I'm going to have to start paying you, huh? Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, so all of the tenants wanted to meet her 
Do you think that I could introduce them or? Yeah, sure. Just invite everybody here. We have a welcome party for this office. Great. Now, this centers on a whole bunch of people who live in the same apartment complex. And we see them in the laundry room. We see them running into each other in the hallways. The the office manager played by Tommy Wiseau. Uh, Wiseau also plays a a teenager, apparently, named Ricky Rick. (laughs) He puts a a blonde wig on and plays this teenager named Ricky Rick, even though Tommy Wiseau seems to be probably something like 50. Um, And, uh, yeah, so Kristen... You didn't. You were not familiar with the room necessarily. No, no, so and I've what, never seen the room. But I, I did try my very best, just because I know it's like out there. Everyone's talking about this new series, The Neighbors. Everybody's talking about it, and I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to try and watch it. I feel that this has to be part of our sweatpants conversation this week, even though I know nothing about this guy. And I tried my best and made it through almost. An entire episode, almost without you say. killing myself, and it was so unbearable. I felt like it was the very worst of public access, sort of nineteen eighties. I made it with the camcorder I stole from my uncle. Yep, with all of the people I know who can't act. Yep. And look, we found one girl though who has breast implants who will agree to be in a bikini That's in every right. scene. <laughs> That's right. And yes, I, I, I couldn't. I. I can't say anything good about this, Rafer. I have nothing good to say about this. The acting is horrible. I don't think there's a plot. I don't think. Well, as you as you can hear from the clip that we played, it's it's almost inaudible. It's uh, or or well, I guess the right word is unintelligible. You, yes. you cannot. You actually literally cannot understand what anyone is saying <laughs> because they've used a single mic in an acoustically horrific room, <laughs> and you you can't you can't understand what's going on. And the thing about Tommy Wiseau's writing is that. His writing is so just inherently bizarre that there are no clues to get to. That there are no other clues that you can take to tell what's going on. I just thought he was writing the whole thing while he was on like LSD or I, something. Know. Or I, I could not figure out how did how did this happen? It, it's it, it it is. I'm just gonna I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say say something that's going to take a little time to get there, but I'll make it quick. There was a, a rock group in the 60s called the Shags, uh, three sisters who formed a rock group um, who were who were just incredibly, incredibly inept. It wasn't that they could not sing or could not play in time. Uh, it was really just more like whatever whatever their idea of music was just simply didn't jibe with the rest of the world's idea of music. It was so far beyond anything you could even recognize. <laughs> And the, uh, the, the, the jazz musician, kind of an avant-garde jazz musician named Carla Blay, um, heard this album and, and said, it's one of my favorite quotes ever. She said, they bring my mind to a complete halt. <laughs> and I feel like when you, watch, when you watch the room and when you watch the neighbors, it's the same thing. You, you open your mouth to say something about it. But you you can't. Your your brain has just been completely halted. You you can't even analyze it. You can't. There's nowhere to start. It's it's just phenomenal. I I mean I can't recommend this to viewers. But if you if you can if you can handle five minutes of it, it will blow your mind. Oh, I I don't know if I want to tell our listeners to do that. <laughs> I'm just saying. Just five horrible. minutes. Five minutes will give you what you need if you want to see the neighbors. That's one of our that's our sweatpants review. Kristen, I know that 
you and I both felt like we were going to review this film and then have nothing to offer people uh, for their time on the couch. No, no, no. But, but you there's wanted, always you stuff on the couch. You wanted to say you wanted to at least have a recommendation for people. Yes. All right. Your your at home viewing recommendation because the gunman is out this week. And while I was watching the gunman struggling through the gunman, I kept thinking, what what is this movie? What does this movie remind me of? What is it trying to be? And finally, when it was over, I realized that the movie it's trying to be is The Year of Living Dangerously from 1982. One of a uh, Peter Weir film, very young Mel Gibson, very, very young, young very young Sigourney Weaver, uh, amazing role from Linda Hunt playing a man. Uh, it all takes place in 1965 during the coup in Indonesia. It's steamy, it's sexy, it's political. Here's a clip. Hamilton, guy. Occupation, journalist. Jakarta, first assignment as foreign correspondent. You're an enemy here, Hamilton. Like all Westerners, I felt sorry for you. Dumped in your first posting without contacts. Adrift, hoping to bluff your way through. But you won't. It's a really great movie. It was really, it was really Peter Weir trying to, uh, I think, uh, use his art house cred and uh, make a make a play for Hollywood and do kind of a mainstream uh, romance thriller. I think it works really well. That's my sweatpants pick for the week. All right. Well, before we get to trivia, let's just have a little quick moment with listener mail this week. So. Mary Ratliff wrote us on our Facebook page, and she said, As a documentary filmmaker, I loved listening to you guys talk about objectivity and the filmmaker's point of view on last week's podcast. I agree with both of you. Kristen, there is always a point of view on display, and there are a lot of ways for filmmakers to sway the viewer in one direction or another, and those have always existed. But I think Rafer is also right that we're shifting toward a world where it's more accepted and that films are being made and marketed as documentaries that are really more agenda-driven than ever before. But mostly I wanted to say that if you guys haven't seen it, if you want to see the most even-handed and objective documentary I've ever encountered, you should check out Hell House by George Ratliff, no relation to me, sadly. I was extremely impressed by how carefully presented it was, and it shows that objectivity is possible if very, very difficult. Now, for listeners who don't know what Hell House is, this centers on a religious a haunted house that gets put up every year for about a month in this small Christian community. And the haunted house is really about sharing the morals of their church with the community and people who pass through there. So you might go into one room where a woman is dying on the operating table because she decided to have an abortion. You might go to another room where a boy is about to die of AIDS because he chose to be gay. You might go into another room where somebody is dying because, you know, you you get it. Yep. You know, it's very moralistic. It's scary. It's a cautionary tale. Yes, lots of cautionary tales in a haunted house. Everybody's covered in blood. They're all being taken away by death to hell because they're going to hell for what they've done. And it's terrifying. It's a way to convert people. But also it's good fun for all the kids in the community who try out for the different roles and are fighting to be in the hell house and get a good role. I want to be abortion girl. I want to be gay kid who kills himself. And I love hell house. I've seen it a few times. I've seen it in the theater. I've seen it at private screenings. And I agree it's pretty even-handed. I I don't think everyone thinks it's even-handed, but a lot of film festivals and awards givers have thought it's even-handed because it's won both LGBT awards and Christian filmmaking awards. That, so I think, is the, the fact sign that of a good documentary. Yes, the fact that from both sides, people have thought this is a good movie. 
I, I really love Hell House. And Mary, it was great to have you write into us and remind us of how good that documentary is. And you make me want to see it again. And listeners, absolutely check out Hell House. And reminder also to you listeners out there, you can always write us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. And while you're there, you know, post something there, comment on something that we've put up there. And while you're there, you know, you can answer our trivia questions. So, Rafer, what was last week's trivia question? So last week we were talking about the documentary Merchants of Doubt, and that was about spin doctors, basically, and how they manipulate public opinion. And that made us think of a, another film about a spin doctor. I would call this one more of a comedy. Uh, we asked you to name that movie. We played this clip. And right there, looking into Joey's eyes, it all came back in a rush. Why I do what I do. Defending the defenseless, protecting the disenfranchised corporations that have been abandoned by their very own consumers. The logger, the sweatshop foreman, the oil driller, the landmine developer, the baby seal poacher. Baby seal poacher? Even I think that's kind of cruel. And we got the right answer. Here it is. I am John Belovovich, calling from Las Vegas, Nevada. The answer to your trivia question is Aaron Eckhart, and thank you for smoking. Have a great day. That's right. Thank you for smoking with Aaron Eckhart. He plays a tobacco PR man. Uh, John, thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. And all the way from Las Vegas. Yeah. I feel like there must be a lot of spin doctors in Las Vegas. People still smoking in Las Vegas? Can you still smoke anywhere in Las Vegas? God, I hope so. I I want it to be a city of sin. I I do, There's got to be one place left on earth that's just sin. (laughs) Nothing but sin. Sit in that diner and smoke while you're eating your steak and eggs. I love that. I love it when you have a cigarette in one hand, and then you have the styrofoam cup with like the (laughs) lipstick ring on it in the other, and at the same time, a donut's in your mouth. That's right. I want all of that to be happening at once. Me too. Love it. All right, Kristen, (laughs) this week's trivia. All right. This week, in honor of the Divergent series, colon, Insurgent, we're going to be playing a clip of another film in which virtual reality also factors heavily into the plot. Here's the clip. Our killer is a white male, about 30 years old. Carl Rudolph Starger was at the house under surveillance for about 20 minutes. He keeps them in this thing for about 40 hours. And after 40 hours, the water starts. And it doesn't stop. There is a girl that is missing. Her name is Julia Hickson. He is the only one that knows where she is. If he was conscious, do you think that he would tell you where she is? I love that movie. I love that movie! You would, Kristen. Of course. I think I was the only one in America who saw it and (laughs) loved it. (laughs) If you know the name of that film... Give us a call, 5717 Movies. Or you can write to us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. I'll take back nothing I said to change the position I'm in.